What's up, everybody? Andrea. Come on down. Come on down. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You guys say hi to Andrea. Let me give you that. You can go sit down. Okay. Welcome, welcome. Andrea was baptized this past week. You guys give her another hand. Um, anytime somebody makes a commitment to follow Jesus, we want to make a big deal out of that. And Andrea has been on a journey. Uh, if you haven't gotten to know her yet, you should. She's hilarious. Uh, and it's going to be a lot of fun seeing you grow. And so we're glad you're here. Uh, we're in the middle of a sermon series. We're going through the book of Acts here at the Crossings. We're in a series called To Be Continued. And the idea is when we read about the church in the, in the New Testament, the, the New Testament book of Acts is the story of the early church. It ends in chapter 28. There is no chapter 29. But the idea is you and I get to be part of chapter 29 and chapter 30 and chapter 31 because we're the same church. Amen? Amen. We're the same church that we read about in the Bible. We get to continue on this legacy of teaching people about Jesus and trying to be close to God and trying to make the world a better place the way God says to do it. So it's a lot of fun as you lean into Jesus and as you get closer to God. Did you guys know that the best life you can have is wrapped up in how close you are to God? Did you know that? If more people knew that, they would, they would be leaning in heavily to a relationship. People don't make the connection. The best life, closeness to God. People don't make the connection. Our job as disciples of Jesus is to make the connection ourselves and to help others make the connection. Now, we hadn't always made that connection, right? You hadn't always thought what you thought about God or what you're thinking about God. Uh, some of you here today are still just, you're just looking at a relationship with God. You're not even sure if you can trust any of this stuff. That's okay. God meets us wherever we are. And in that good news, right? We're going to look at the story of a guy today who God had to meet him where he was. He wasn't in a very good place when God first met him. It's a guy, starts out, his name is Saul. It's later changed to Paul. Uh, but Saul, Jake talked about last week, uh, the martyrdom of Stephen. Saul, if you read about Stephen, and when Stephen was killed in Acts 7, Saul was actually standing there watching with approval while that mob killed Stephen, the first Christian martyr. He was sitting there nodding like this is a good thing. And then from there, from Acts 7 and Acts 8, we see Saul... Start going from house to house. The Bible says destroying the church of God. See, Saul was a Jew who thought Jesus was a false teacher. And he thought he was doing a good thing as he went, uh, went around in the early first century uh, church just kind of messing things up. He was throwing people in prison. If you were a Christian, if you followed Jesus, Paul would haul you off to jail. Or he might beat you up. Or there might be other stuff that happens. He was not a good guy in terms of the church. But then Jesus is going to work powerfully in his life. You've got some notes in your bulletin. It's going to have most of the passages of Scripture we're going to look at on there. Today, we're going to look at the conversion of Saul, who became Paul, and we're going to look at the application that we can draw out of his conversion. Acts 9. Uh, meanwhile, this is starting in verse 1, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. This is right after Stephen has been killed. Uh, the church has been scattered. This guy is actually going around chasing people down who had scattered. So he's breathing out these murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He goes to the high priest, verse 2, and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. Okay? This guy was a bad dude. Jesus comes down from heaven and appears in a bright light around Saul on the Damascus road. 
and he blinds him as this guy is on his way to get letters to take people off to throw them in jail. Now, when he sees this bright light, when he sees this miracle that's pouring out in front of him, Saul stops and he asks the most important question in the world. Do you want to know what the most important question in the world is? It's who are you, Lord? Who are you, God? Who are you, Master? That's what he's asking. He doesn't know who's in the light. He just knows that whoever is in the light is in charge. And it's not him. Who are you? Lord. You see, he had gotten that question wrong. See, he he didn't understand that Jesus was part of God's plan. He believed in God, but he didn't believe in Jesus. He believed there was a God in heaven. He just didn't believe that this Jesus carpenter guy was his son. He didn't believe that. But then Jesus appears to him in a bright light. Who are you, Lord? He gets the answer. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And then he goes, he has to get led into town because he can't see. He's blind. He's blind. Gets led into town and for three days, he sits in that town. Do you think he was asking some questions in those three days? Do you think he was rethinking his life decisions during those three days? You ever been there? You ever have something that hits you and just the wheels fall off? You have to reassess everything. That's where he's at, man. He's in this reassessment phase, right? Three days. You think he's praying? I think so. During that time, God appears to another guy named Ananias and tells Ananias, I want you to go to Damascus and I want you to lay hands on this guy named Saul and we're going to start using him in the world. And Ananias says back to God, what do you, you mean the guy that's killing us? God says, yeah, you do what I say. You don't worry about that, son. Just go do what I say. Ananias goes to Damascus. He's a follower of God. He lays hands on Saul. As soon as he lays hands on Saul, it says something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. And Ananias says, get up and be baptized and wash your sins away. Call on his name. Paul gives his life. Saul gives his life to Jesus, becomes the apostle Paul, changes his name. He ends up becoming one of the greatest Christian evangelists that ever lived. It's a big deal. But he didn't start there. He had this encounter with Jesus. Jesus knocked him off his donkey, blinded him, beat him up a little bit, gave him some instruction, and then the guy turns around and and his life goes a completely different direction. How many of you have had an encounter with Jesus where you hadn't been the same on the other side of the equation, right? Anytime you have an encounter with Jesus, when you have a real encounter with Jesus, you are not the same anymore. Paul, when he was Saul, was a guy who thought that he had it all together. See, as a Jew, he he had all all his T's crossed and all his I's dotted as a Jew. He even talks about how as a Jew... He was a better Jew than than most everybody else. In Philippians 3, and thinking back about his life, he says, if anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee as for zeal, persecuting the church as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. He says, if you think you have it together, I had it together. You know, there was a time in life when I thought I had it together, but I found out I didn't. I found out my direction was the wrong direction. He finds out the same thing here. He finds out this life he's been living, this direction he's been on, is going the wrong way, but if anybody had reason to brag, it was him. But he says, all that stuff that I had to brag about was not worth bragging about. He has an encounter with Jesus, and he says in 1 Timothy 1, this is a true saying, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I was the worst of them all. 
He goes from thinking he was a pretty good guy, a guy who had it all together, a guy who was doing everything properly, to having an encounter with Jesus, and Jesus holds up a mirror to him. He realizes he's not all that. He's not the righteous man that he believed he was. He realized that he needed Jesus Christ in his life. And that's one of the things that he repeats over and over. It's, it's not a, what do I need to do? It's, who do I need to save me? That's usually the question with Paul, who? And it's always Jesus. Today, we're going to look at some lessons from his conversion. And we're going to, we're going to see how we apply this to our lives. Because how many times have we been knocked off our donkey in life? Some of you need to be. If you're heading the wrong direction... You need God's discipline in your life. If you're going through life without God, you're going to be in trouble one of these days. You're not, first of all, going to have the best life you can have now, but you're also going to have to answer for it. You need to get this right. Saul wanted to honor God with his life, but he failed miserably. And he was, there was some stuff that he was going to have to learn and have to change before Saul would become Paul. If I'm going to break the cycle of failure myself, first of all, here's how we can apply these lessons, okay? First of all, number one, I must respond to correction properly. I must respond to correction properly. Uh, when telling this story again later in the book of Acts, he says, uh, says it like this, in Acts 22.6, about noon as I came near Damascus, this is Paul, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, I asked? I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Here's some important facts about discipline. Uh, first of all, discipline always has a purpose. Always has a purpose. Anytime somebody gives you advice, guidance, or correction, it's for a reason. There's a reason for it. It may not be a good reason, depending on the wisdom of the person doing it, but there's a reason. They're not just telling you uh, to tell you. It's usually for your good. God's discipline is always for your good. Anytime God disciplines you, it is always for your good. It's not just to cause pain. It's to help you have a better life or to help protect you from something that's going to hurt you. In Hebrews 12, 4, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines those he what? He disciplines those he loves. And he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. There's love behind God's discipline. 100% of the time, there's love behind God's discipline. And it's also something that happens to every person. Discipline happens to everyone. If you're not disciplined, Hebrews 12, 8 Look at this, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Notice, God disciplines everyone. It says it right there. Why? Because God loves everyone. He gives everyone attention. Some kids grow up without parents who disciplines them. What happens to those kids when kids grow up without parents that discipline them? Those kids turn out with problems as adults. Whenever they grow up with no structure and no discipline. Uh, there are kids that I know who noticed their parents didn't discipline them growing up. And they even articulated to others, man, I wish my parents cared enough to whoop my butt sometime. Discipline is a sign of concern and care. God is concerned about you and he cares about you and he's going to discipline you. That happens to everyone. Another thing is discipline is always painful. It's never not painful. It says uh, in, in verse 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Guys, discipline never feels good, even if it's just a verbal correction or something. Like, who takes a test at school and likes the red X's on their paper? You're just like, oh, yes, I got another one. Awesome. Nobody does that. I'm like, dang it, dang it. You know, it's like every time you don't like it. It's the same in life. Nobody likes red X's in life. We want to get 100% all of the time. We don't want to have to deal with imperfections. We don't want to have to deal with corrections. It is natural to want to live in denial uh, sometimes, isn't it? 
But it also doesn't get any better when you live in denial. Um, and discipline, guys, just change it is going to be painful. D, discipline's results can be positive. So it's painful, but then in verse uh, B, or part B of 11, later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. The point of discipline is to teach you something. If one of my kids is dro- jumping off the couch and I say, hey, quit jumping off the couch, it's going to split your head open on the floor, and then they keep jumping on the couch and I grab them and whip their butt, whipping their butt hurts way less than splitting their head open on the floor, right? So I'm giving them a little pain. Why? To protect them from a bigger pain. It's that simple. God does the same thing with us. He disciplines us. His discipline hurts, but his discipline is always to protect us from a bigger hurt later. It's the same. It's the same. Just like a good parent. Lastly, discipline severity is decided by me personally. Discipline's severity is decided by me personally. In 1 Corinthians 4.21, Paul writes, What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a whip or in love and with a gentle spirit? Now he's talking to a group of Christians who had been messed up. They had been messing up really badly. They had a really bad church in Corinth. They were doing some really stupid things. And so Paul (coughs) writes them a letter pretty much telling them they need to change. And here he's like, you can listen to my words or I can come with a whip. Um, Now, Paul was an apostle. He had supernatural giftings. He one time struck a guy blind who came and was messing with him. So he could do stuff like that. And so if he wanted to go to this church and, and do something to teach them a lesson, he probably could have. I think uh, anything he asked the Lord for, God probably would have honored. So he's not, this isn't an empty threat when he says, do you want me to come to you with a whip or, you know, just with a, with a word? Which would you like? Uh, he could have backed that up. His point here is he didn't want to come with a whip. God, guys, is the same way. God warns us. He gives us chances. He gives us advice. He puts people in our lives to give us warnings, whether we listen to them or not is up to who? It's up to us. Whether we take correction or not is up to who? I'm sorry, you don't sound convinced. It's it's up to who? Okay, so people can come to you and urge you to change something, and then it is up to you whether you listen or not. What I want to help you do is make a correlation here. When you don't listen, pain comes. Who in here likes pain? When you don't listen, pain comes. When you don't listen, pain gets worse. Are you making the correlation here? When you don't listen, it gets worse. When you don't listen the next time, what happens? It's worse than the last time, right? Do you see how this works? Guys, this is how life works. This is how God's discipline works. It starts maybe with the word of correction. But eventually, it's going to get to the rod of correction. I'm just telling you in my own life, man. How have I seen this play out? How have you seen this play out? Uh, Matthew 18, guys, just for for instance, God often in the Bible gives us uh, escalatory consequences for sin. What I mean by that is God says, here's what's going to happen if you do this. Here's what's going to happen if you live in rebellion. It's going to be this little punishment over here. But if you don't repent, it's going to move to this. And if you don't repent, it's going to move to this. And if you don't repent, it's eventually going to move to this. And there's this escalation of consequences. You see this in church discipline. 
If, uh, if somebody sins against you, Jesus says in Matthew 18, you go talk to that person, just you and them. And if they continue in their sin, then you go grab two or three others, or one or two others to come with you. And you go talk to them, just the three of you. If they still won't listen, then you go take it to the church elders. If they still won't listen, then you take it to the church. There's this escalation where eventually the consequences get more and more severe when people don't listen. That mirrors, church discipline mirrors how God disciplines in life. The more we don't listen, the worse our pain gets. The more we don't listen, the more times God puts people in our life to give us the same warning and we don't listen. The more time we see it in the word and we don't listen. Guys, the, the, the consequences don't lessen. They get more severe. Why does God set it up that way? What's going to happen if, if we don't change? If we have sin in our life that we never repent of, what's going to happen? If we have sin that's never taken care of, what's going to happen? We're going to be in trouble. God gives us discipline. He gives us consequences. In his wisdom, he's trying to direct us and get us to change. But at the end of the day, who's it up to? you got to make the decision whether you're going to listen or not. What would have happened if Paul had just thrown up his hands and said no? Would he have had the life that he had... He ended up having, no. He had to listen. He had to take direction. <clears throat> it would have not been good. But when we submit to God, guys, we find relief. We find purpose. When we rebel, we find pain. Secondly, if I'm going to break the cycle of failure, number two, I must request instruction humbly. <clears throat> I must request instruction Humbly. In Acts 22, Paul retelling this conversion experience, he, uh, he says, I asked, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then he told me, get up and go to Damascus. When you get there, you'll be told what to do. Um, notice his attitude here. Who's he asking for direction? He's asking God for direction. He has this experience with the Lord. He, gets, he has a direction he's going. He's going to Damascus. He's got a mission. He's going to get some letters. He's going to take them uh, to, to throw these people in jail. He's got a task that he's on. And then God gets involved. Jesus has this uh, bright light experience, teaches him a lesson, beats him up a little bit. Now he's got to make a decision where he's going to go. And his attitude is great. Where he says here, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? That's a different attitude than telling God what you're going to do. Isn't it? It's, this, is, this is, hey, give me instruction here. I'm moldable. I'm malleable. I'm willing to listen. This is a little simple shift in, in his attitude. Where instead of, I know what is in front of me. I know the path. I know the direction. I know what's right. It's, I don't know what's right. God, please tell me. I don't know what I'm doing. God, please direct me. I realize my direction was wrong. God, please help redirect me. His, his whole attitude changes. What do you want me to do? This is a humble question from a humble heart. When I say humble, I just mean moldable. I mean they're going to listen as opposed to prideful, which is more in the know-it-all realm. Guys, can you tell somebody who already knows everything, can you tell them anything? No, because they already know everything in their own mind. Why do I need to listen to you? I already got the answer. That's not his attitude. He's got a humble attitude. This guy goes from being... Uh, somebody that people talked about as a big deal and like, you know, the young Pharisee that's just on top of the world and getting all these accolades from his Pharisee friends. And if there's a Pharisee conference, he's going to be the headliner. Like he's going to be the one everybody wants to be like. He goes from being this Pharisee model to getting knocked off his donkey and now he doesn't even know which way is up. 
But in his humility now, his humility that came from pain, he's saying, which direction do I need to go? Which direction do I need to go? You know, when you get knocked off your donkey in life, you got a choice to make. You can acknowledge that you are broken and messed up and that you need help, or you can try to hide it and try to pretend like you've got it all together and like you're strong and you don't need anybody's help. You'll figure it out. Two kinds of people, guys. Which one gets help? The one who's humble. The one who says, I need help. The one who doesn't need help or says they don't need help, of course they're not going to look for help. They don't need it, right? It's just a little simple shift where he moves into being humble, and it's really, really important. And it's this attitude that, God, you're in control now. I'm, I'm willing to listen now. Uh, we have got to learn to have an attitude like this when it comes especially to life's most important things. We've got a church that uh, is full of people that are first-generation Christians. The mo- most, of the, most of our members are brand new to faith in terms of uh, learning the Bible stories and all the principles and ethics and everything that's in, in the Bible. We have a lot of people that are learning for the first time in their families uh, how to live in a godly way. Why should you think if you have never tried to live in a godly manner, if you've grown up in households where they never taught you the principles that Jesus teaches, guys, they never modeled principles from Scripture, why would you expect to know how to do this stuff if you've never seen it? I don't think any of you should expect to know how to be a faithful disciple unless you've seen it. It's very important. But you've got to be humble in just acknowledging that. If you try to pass off or even believe yourself that you know how to be a great uh, spouse or a great godly parent or a great godly whatever, if you've never seen it, you're going to need help. What will get in the way of your getting help is your attitude. If you have a prideful spirit, you will not learn. If you have a humble spirit, you will. It's that simple. But it's so important. Guys, the first step in in becoming wise is uh, having an attitude of humility because that is a teachable, learnable spirit as opposed to somebody that's prideful, right? Here, Paul had the decision to whether he was going to be prideful or not in this moment. He makes a good decision. At the end of the day, he's a good guy. He makes a good-hearted decision here. But man, he was going the wrong way for a while. Isn't it crazy how even a good guy can just be going a completely wrong direction and not even know it? He completely was blowing life when he was going around breaking up the church, destroying the church, but he thought he was doing a good thing. And it wasn't until God intervened that he realized he wasn't. The only reason he was able to change those because of his humility. If he had gotten prideful and arrogant in this moment, he would not have changed. And he would have continued to be part of the problem. But because he's humble, he's able to be corrected. It says in Psalm 32... 8 and 9, I will instruct you, says the Lord, and guide you along the best pathway for your life. Have you ever noticed the Bible says that? Let me read that again because this is true, okay? Read this slowly and pay attention. I will instruct you, says the Lord, and guide you along the what? The best pathway for your life. Have you ever noticed the Bible says that? I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. What is our job? If God is going to guide us along the best pathway for our life, what's my job? It's to listen. That's why he goes on and says, Don't be like a senseless horse or mule that has to have a bit in its mouth to keep it in line. What's the difference between you and a horse or a mule? As it, as it comes to your followship, 
Do you need to have a rope and a bit in your mouth where Jesus is jerking you around everywhere? Do you need, is, that, is that how you need to be? He's saying, don't be like that. Just, just walk like a human. Just walk with me. Follow me. And that's the, that's the invitation that we have <coughs> from Jesus is he says, walk with me. Walk with me. Walk with me through life. God does great things in the lives of those who say, teach me. It's that simple, man. It's really this attitude where we want to be taught by God. We want to be invested in. If we will adopt the, the, the heart of a learner and say, God, just teach me. Just pour into me. And then apply what he's saying. Guys, God yearns for that. He yearns for that. But do you know that that's rare in the world for God, for God to be treated that way by people? But if you will adopt this attitude and approach God where you say, man, pour into me, I will apply what you learned to me, and then you follow through on that, your life will never be the same. And he will help you have a great life because that's what he wants. It won't be a life free from pain. It won't be a life free from problems, but it will be a life where he helps you deal with all of that and deal with it well. The best life you can have is wrapped up in your relationship with God. Thirdly, If I'm going to get over failure, I must revise my direction wisely. I must revise my direction wisely. Now, you guys all, uh, for the most part, especially college and younger, you guys have grown up with cell phones. Uh, You've grown up with apps that have GPSs on them where, you know, I can just hop in my truck and tell Siri where to go and the app opens up. You know, back a long time ago, we had to use these things called GPSs. Does anybody in here ever have a GPS? Anybody have a Garmin? Tom, Tom, right? You guys remember this? Some of you, I hadn't heard that since I was a baby. Uh, yeah, they've they been around. So yeah, these old GPSs, you'd plug them into your car lighter or whatever and put them on your, put them on your windshield and you're driving around. And what would it say when you get off track? recalculating, you know, rerouting or whatever. Um, Did you know you could download other voices for those old Garmin GPSs? I got a friend that, uh, Johnny Bond, some of you guys know him, some of you don't. His wife was going to go on like a cross-country trip one time. And so he decided he would be funny and download, instead of the voice that tells you the correct direction to go, he decided to download a drunken Irish voice drunken Irish man voice that would tell you the wrong directions. And so as you're driving down the road, it would say, turn right. Oh, no, I mean left. I mean left, you know, and stuff like that. And so his wife gets on the road and turns on her GPS and she's calling him, asking him what he did, you know, about an hour into the trip because she's getting all turned around. You want your GPS to work the right way, correct? You want it to give you good directions. Um, you know, God is, has given us a GPS for life, and that's part of why it's so important that we get into the scriptures and learn to apply the scriptures to our life. Because over and over, when you look at what God says about how to do life, over and over, uh, we're told in the Bible, take the Bible and do what it says. Take the Bible and do what it says. You want to have a good life? Take the Bible and do what it says. Take God's truth and apply it to your life. Take God's teaching and apply it to your life. Take God's word and do what it says. Over and over and over and over. Whenever you're going through life and you're about to make a decision, before you make a big decision, what do you need to do? You need to say, what does God say about it? Yes, you need to pray about it. Yes, you need to... You need to investigate what is God's will on this issue or this subject. Did you know most of the time God has something to say in the Bible about whatever it is? Did you know that? There's usually a principle. Sometimes there's a direct teaching. Sometimes there's a passage. There is always direction from God when it comes to making decisions and stuff. And whenever I get into a situation where I don't know what to do, I can turn to God's word 
And I could have been going one direction, but when I look at God's word, it gives me a truth and it's like recalculating, you know, and I have to get back on the right path. Why? Because my GPS told me I was off track. But if I don't listen to my GPS, where am I going to end up? I'm going to end up in the wrong place, right? The Bible, God's word, is, is meant to be our GPS in life. It's meant to be that. Now, whether you use it or not is up to you. Too many people neglect the tools that God gives them. God did not throw you into life and then just like toss you a hand grenade and say, figure it out. He didn't do that. He gives us instructions. He gives us his word. We've got to look in his word. We've got to take it. We've got to listen. Jeremiah 10, 23. Jeremiah says this great truth. I know, O Lord, that a man's life is not what? A man's life is not his own. Really? Do I get up in the morning thinking, my life's not my own? Typically, no. Should I? Yes. But he says a man's life is not his own. Whose is it? It's God's. It's not for man to direct his steps. Why would Jeremiah say something like this? Because Jeremiah understood the fear of the Lord. Everything that I'm talking to you about today, the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. If you want to start making wise decisions... You need to use your GPS. Your GPS is powered by your fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear of the Lord, if, if that's a weird phrase, it means you are afraid of becoming God's enemy. When you have the fear of the Lord, you're afraid of becoming God's enemy. It means you're afraid of doing something that is going to put you in the bad column with God, where you are not on his team. You want to be on his team, so you're going to do whatever you need to do to be on his team. You're going to make the changes. You're going to listen to the directions. You're going to do what you need to do to be on his team because you fear becoming God's enemy. That's the fear of the Lord. In Psalm 110, it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? You want some wisdom in your life? you got to fear God. It says, all who follow his precepts have good understanding. The fear of the Lord means that you obey him because you're afraid of becoming his enemy. All who follow his precepts, that means all who allow God to serve as their GPS in life, they have the fear of the Lord. They have it. They listen. What would have happened to Paul if he just completely refused to listen to Jesus? The only way he could have done that is if he didn't have fear of the Lord. If he didn't have fear of the Lord, that's the only way he could have done that. Would his life have turned out the way his life turned out? Obviously not. Obviously not. But he did listen. And God wants to bless us with his wisdom. In Proverbs 9, if you want to live, give up your foolishness. Let understanding guide your steps. Understanding just means you listen to God first. You listen to him first. Before uh, you make a decision, you ask, what does God say about it? How do the principles in the Bible direct it? Who have I asked who could maybe help me get answers to some of these questions that's close to God? Lean into God's word. Lean into God's people who know God's word. That's how you become wise. God wants us to be blessed with his wisdom. And he doesn't enjoy seeing us suffer from bad decisions. That's why it says in Ezekiel 18.32, I don't enjoy seeing you die. The Lord God says, turn. Turn and live. That's God's, that's God's call to everybody. He doesn't want anybody to perish. He wants everybody to live. He says, man, turn to live. Turn to me. Lastly, I must receive forgiveness submissively. I must receive forgiveness submissively. 
Healing, forgiveness, and redemption are found through submission to Jesus Christ as Lord. You guys might see, um, we got a scripture over here on the wall. This is Galatians 2.20, and it says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. That's written by the Apostle Paul in Galatians. <clears throat> this is a principle that he lived by. What Paul taught is that when we decide to become disciples of Jesus, our old selves die. Our old way of life dies. Uh, our old ambitions die that are ungodly. Uh, we reorient life as disciples under the banner of Jesus and live life in a new way under the banner of Jesus. Our new life is not the same as our old life. Our new values are not the same as our old values. Our new mission is not the same as our old mission. We are new. We are different. It is a new life. It is not your old life. In order for you to embrace new life, your old life has to go away. That's why when we decide to become disciples, we are dying to self. We are saying, I'm dead. I'm going to die. Jesus, now you get to have my life. You get to take this over. Jesus, take the wheel, as the great theologian Carrie Underwood shares with us. <laughs> you give up control. How many of you guys like giving up control, right? Anybody in here a backseat driver? I know, I know a couple of you because you ride in my car sometimes. Um, we like control. We don't like giving up control. But part of the way we enter into relationship with God is we give up control. We let him take over we call this <gasps> submission. We don't like that word very much, right? I find security in being in control. Why do I do that? When my mind, I say, because I don't want anybody else to mess it up. Which doesn't make any sense, because then I think about my life and how many things have I messed up. A lot. I have no business being in control. But who doesn't mess stuff up? A good old Bible class answer. Jesus. Right? Yeah. It's the truth. He doesn't mess stuff up. But I do. <coughs> Paul was a guy who had it all together. At least at the outset. He had a Ph.D., he had a good job. He had respect. He had all this knowledge he had built up. He had all these accolades. He had it together. But then Jesus knocks him off his donkey, blinds him, helps him see that he doesn't have it all together, that he has a lot to learn. And he's patient with him. This guy who is throwing women and children in jail, Jesus beats him up. And is patient with him while he works out where he had messed up. This guy goes into a town for three days. He's blind. He's praying to God. Praying to God. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? God sends this other person, Ananias, to him. Ananias comes in. Lays hands on him. Scales fall off Saul's eyes. I bet you there were tears. I bet you there were shouts. I bet you there was all kinds of stuff. That was happening in that moment. And Ananias says, now what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized and wash your sins away. Call it on his name. He goes and he's baptized. Then they go back to Jerusalem. He hangs out with Peter and the other apostles for like nine years. He learns all this stuff. Then he goes out. First place he goes is this place called Antioch. Tells people about Jesus. Goes to Thessalonica. Goes to Berea. Starts going around different places. Fast forward a few years, this guy has traveled most of the known world. He has been beaten. He has been abused. 
His back, by the end of his life, is all messed up. He's probably disabled because he's been beaten up so many times. The reason he got beat up so many times is because he kept going around telling people, I was on my donkey, and this bright light flashed around me, and this voice came, and I asked who it was, and it was him, the guy who was supposed to be dead. He was not dead. He's back. And here's how you can get right with God. You can have your sins forgiven. Jesus died on the cross for you. He came for you. He wants to give you a good life. He wants to give you forgiveness of sin. He wants to give you a mission in the world. He wants to use you as his hands and feet to go out and and make the world a better place. And he's got things that he created you to do, just you individually. You've got this great life ahead of you, this adventure. And man, all these people are listening to Paul over the years. And all these people are coming to know Jesus. And you want to know what is true about 100% of the people who came to know Jesus? 100% of those who know Jesus. You want to know what they had to do first? They had to surrender. The one commonality that all of us share if we're disciples of Jesus is surrender. Surrender. That's what's on you today. If you're here and you're wondering what the next step for you is in a relationship with God, if you're just investigating a relationship with God, your next step is surrender. Now, this is the hard part because the surrender is the part where I let go of things that I've been holding on to. For Paul, the things he was holding on to... (coughs) He had been holding on to his pride. He had been holding on to his position. He had been holding on to his place in the community he was a part of. He had been holding on to all kinds of things that were important to him. His education, his job. Man, he let all of that go. You want to you know what he said about all the things that he held so tightly on to? He said, all that stuff is rubbish compared to knowing Jesus. All that stuff I used to cling to that I thought was so important, all of it's trash compared to knowing Jesus. And that was the mindset he adopted, and then that was how he lived his life. Everything is trash compared to knowing Jesus. If there's anything in my life that is getting in the way of me knowing Jesus, if it's a sin, if it's a habit, if it's a relationship, whatever it is, if there's something in my life that is getting in the way of my surrendering to Jesus, I need to let that go. And I need to surrender fully to him. That's what Paul's attitude was. And that's what we can learn from today. If you're here today and you want to be right with God, it begins with your surrender. And it is not something that you were designed to do by yourself. Because this is why we have the church. We have the church because God didn't make any of us, he didn't design any of us to do life on our own. He didn't even design us to connect with him by ourselves. We need help to do that. And so what we would like to do here at the crossings is help you do that. If you're visiting here today, if you're just investigating a relationship with God, if you're looking for the next step in your journey toward him, we believe that God put you here for a reason. Uh, We believe that God put you here because he wants to connect with you and he wants to help you have a great relationship and a great connection with him. There's a cardstock piece of paper in your bulletin. I would like to invite everybody to pull that out. It's called our communication card. Uh, And uh, we would like to make a connection with you here today so that we can help you with whatever your next step happens to be. Um, There's space there for you to fill out your information. If you would like to learn more about a relationship with God, indicate on there that you'd like a personal Bible study. And we'll get a couple of our folks together with you. If you're a guy, we'll get a couple of the guys with you. If you're a girl, we'll get a couple of the ladies with you. 
Uh, but you'll just sit down and open a Bible and look at a scripture or two and say, hey, what do you think this means for my life? Uh, and then talk about it. We will help you get your answers worked out. Uh, if you've got questions about God or things like that, we'll help you. Uh, if you've got other hurts or life issues, we offer a variety of services here for different things. People going through uh, the hurt from divorces, from family issues, uh, sexual issues like childhood sexual abuse. We have support groups for that. Uh, we've got a lot of other support groups and things that we offer here. If you're struggling with addiction, alcoholism, whatever, we've got people who know how that is. We care. Um, I want you to know, regardless of whatever your struggle or question might be, you are in a safe place. Nobody's going to look down on you if you have a problem or issue or doubt or anything. If you don't even think there's a God, that's okay. okay? Nobody's going to look down on you for believing something different or having questions. What we would like to do is just help you and, and just learn your story and, and get to know you. So please fill that card out. I'd also like to invite you just to get to know Make a friend or two. Uh, if you're new here, go out to lunch with somebody. Um, you know, go grab coffee or something later this week. Try to get to know somebody and just, just make a friend. Guys, we want to be a really healthy family here at the Crossings Church Collinsville. It's been such a blessing to see people get to know Jesus over the last few years. We've got so many cool things that are happening. Uh, we just want to see that continue. And we want to make sure nobody falls through the cracks. Because with, with so many coming... Uh, and, and new faces and everything. We just want to make sure everybody gets attention. Uh, so please help us by responding today and just let us know what we can do to help you. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing a song. That's, uh, during that song, you'll be able to fill that card out. And then after the first song, we'll sing a second song, and then we'll pass some baskets. And you can drop your card in that basket when it comes by. Uh, but I want to thank everybody for your attention today. And uh, I want to pray for, uh, for our, just a great week this week. And, and please respond on that card, okay? Uh, God, thank you for bringing us together today. Uh, thank you for uh, the, the example of Paul and for the challenge that he brings to us. Uh, God, thank you for um, your patience and your kindness toward us. Uh, thank you for giving us room to make mistakes and also room to grow. Lord, I want to pray for those that are going to be at camp this week. Uh, pray a special blessing on them. Uh, Lord, we love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.